This is Eric Frankhouse from Bloodlines of Black Magic, and you're listening to Gaming and BS with Brett and Sean. That's right, Brett. I put you first. Welcome to Gaming and BS episode 134. We've got a couple guests on our show this evening. Yes, we do. He's a- He's a proud father, a husband, a gamer, a geek, a terrible speller, an all-around nice guy, and fellow Wisconsinite, which I did not know, Brett. He's made appearances on such tabletop gaming podcasts like Modifier and written articles for Cyphercaster Magazine. You know him for his work on the, as the co-host of the popular podcast Cypher Speak. You can find him on Twitter at TroyP23. Please welcome Troy. Hello, everyone. Yay, Troy! Woo! Yay, Troy! <laughs> Not to be forgotten, she's a staff member of Contessa, an organization dedicated to increasing diverse representation in tabletop gaming, and a contributor to the popular Any Award-winning gaming blog, Gnome Stew. One of her passions is getting new people into gaming. Cypher system games are her jam. She's a nailologist by day <laughs> with a love of weird invertebrate animals and co-host of the popular Cypher Speak podcast. You can fire her Find her on Twitter at Darcy L. Ross. Please welcome Darcy Ross to the show. I'm so happy to be here. I brought all my tentacles with. <laughs> so, Darcy, right. before I go further, we, I've got to ask you. So I mentioned this to my daughter because she loves having, <clears throat> hey, I've got a uh, a girl on the show. She's going to talk about stuff. And my, my younger daughter loves gaming. She's like, oh, this is so cool. What's her name? It's Darcy Ross. She, and she uh, works with snails. No, she doesn't. I said, yes, yeah, she does. <laughs> You have to ask her. I don't believe you. So please tell me that you really work with snails so I can tell my daughter you work with snails. Oh, boy, do I. I was uh, up to my shoulders in cold snail water just a day ago, and I'm working on a snail talk right now. Uh, I am uh, all snails all the time, pretty much. <laughs> Perfect. She loves she loves chemistry and science and math, and uh, I told her, no. Oh, I need to meet her. She's so cool. No, this this is a this is a, a gamer, and she's a girl, and she likes science just like you. She works with snails. No, she doesn't, Dad. That's not possible. Because I, I do have a history of uh, feeding lines of BS to my children. So. A healthy, <laughs> healthy habit. Yeah, her doubt in me is well founded. But thank you, thank you. Very That's much. great for a scientist. You know, she's skeptical. I like it. You're training her well. Yeah. She doesn't have any choice. It's either that or she gets laughed at at school. So anyway, all right, John, I'll huh. stop. Back to you, sir. All right. So, announcements quick. Uh, Forge Midwest is happening a weekend of April 7th through the 9th. That's this weekend, 2017. If you, uh, are you in, if you're in the region, Forge Mid- Midwest, I can't talk tonight. Forge Midwest. That's because it's late. It's okay, though. It is kind of late. But Sean, you know, are you going to make Forge? I'm going to get there probably on Saturday, I think, during the day. Okay. Um, it's rather quaint. A lot of indie RPGs for sure. Mm-hmm. The last couple of years they've had it. Sean drew, drew my attention to it and like, oh, that'll be great. I should be able to make it. And then my gaming group in my hometown north here is like, hey, we can meet this weekend or this weekend. Well, that doesn't work. This doesn't work out. We'll game. So next weekend I'm going to be up in Wausau. So I'll be nowhere near Forge Midwest. Ooh, yeah. Which, oh, well, I just spent a lot of time and money at GaryCon. So maybe it's for the best. <laughs> and then the other one is International Tabletop Day is at the end of this month, April 29th, 2017. Oh, wow. That's that's my wedding that anniversary. That is creeping cool. up on us. Oof. Are you guys doing anything special, Troy, Darcy? 
I should. I'm not yet. <laughs> um, I might, but uh, the weekend before that is the world's largest trivia contest here in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. So I will play trivia for a non-trivial amount of 54 hours in one weekend. Good Lord, man. 51 hours? 54 hours. 54 hours. Jesus. Troy, wow, that's, Troy you're, that's... you're actually in Stevens Point. Are you kidding me? Really? No, I yes, I live in well, technically I live in Plover, but Okay. So yeah. I drove I drove past you because I go to Wausau. <laughs> yep. My parent my parents are still up there. I go up there every month. So holy crap. All right. Neat. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. All right, let's get to random encounter, shall yeah, we? Yeah, let's do the thing. All right, random encounter. So where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. And I'll let you read the first one, Brett, because, uh, yeah, (laughs) just because, just because. So, um, Ace, a newer listener to the show says, Hey, Sean and Brett, I've been listening to you, uh, since early this past winter, right after your bonus BS episode from Game Hole Con 2016, which is really cool. And also started listening at episode one and listening forward to catch up shortly after. And, uh, Troy and Darcy, that's a thing that I've said since the beginning. If you want to understand the full interconnected web of deceit <laughs> and lies and truth that we spin, you must start at one and work your way forward. <laughs> so Ace is already being a good guy, so this is good. He says, though, this week I finally heard an episode that demanded I write in to take you to the woodshed. Mm. Oh, Lord. Um, I listened to several more episodes listening, uh, following to make sure no one else had made my points during a random encounter and was sorely disappointed. In the episode, a friend of Brett's had sent in a demo, sat in a demo of Hackmaster and made a complaint about the use of opposed die rolls as the primary combat mechanic. The two of you then went into a long diatribe against opposed die rolls, ignoring the ways they are done in Hackmaster itself, instead focusing on the opposed die roll combat me- mechanics from die pool systems. Quite frankly, die pool mechanics suck, and doubly so for combat. In Hackmaster, the mechanic is a simple D20 plus attack bonus versus D20 plus defensive bonus rolled simultaneously. The GM can remember the monster's defense bonus, it's a, or is a decent GM and has it written down at a handy location, and the player can remember their own attack bonus to a hit situation is resolved in seconds. No counting through syllables of D10s, White Wolf, or D6s, Star Wars, to come up with results for a roll. I hope you understand that I'm incredibly annoyed you spent an entire episode indirectly, and probably unintentionally, ripping on my favorite game system without having played it. Uh, yeah, that was absolutely unintentional, Ace. We did not mean to do that. So, very sorry, man. That's not what I meant to do. Um, he goes on to say, um, based on one person being vexed that, uh, <clears throat> that it was one hit round and not, uh, hit the next round. That person, I say the D the GM rolled differently. Stop whining and suck it up, buttercup to piss me off even further. Oh God, we made him mad. <laughs> the, very, the very next episode was latency in combat, a problem which is handled quite elegantly in Hackmaster. Ah, the Hackmaster initiative system creates fast-paced encounters that keep everyone involved at all times by making sure everyone at the table always has something to do. Running combat can be somewhat taxing on the GM, but a few organizational tricks and some free downloads from the Kenzerco website make it a lot easier. These guys have play-tested the shit out of their games, he says. Given that in your early episodes, you love to repeat the advice from Mr. Director Mark Guys that a new system takes about four sessions to know if you like it or not. I think you all might owe it to yourselves, your listeners, and the Kenzerco development team. Head over to Kenzerco, download the free Hackmaster Basic, and play a few sessions, given that you spent an episode indirectly bashing the game. I'm sorry if I sound spammy about Hackmaster. I sure am not intending to be. This episode just really got under my skin, as it uh, really did feel like you guys are bashing living crap out of my favorite game without as much <laughs> as having read the rules. Let alone playing the four sessions that I've heard you echo the MM crew in recommending. Thanks in advance. Whew. Well, um, uh, that was actually gentler than I thought it was going to be. So, Ace, thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, that wasn't 
that was not Sean nor my intent um, to well, go, I don't go know. mash I mean, on a game. I don't know, man. Hackmaster, I mean, come on. All the games <laughs> in the world, I mean, that's the one game I cannot stand is Hackmaster. Dude. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Don't I'm do just that. kidding. Just kidding. So, fair point. I have not... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Darcy. Oh, no. I, I was just saying I, I've always been interested in uh, having a podcast where I play what I think other games are. <laughs> Just just based on the name and what I ambiently know, play what I think Hackmaster is like or play what I think Shadowrun goes like. <laughs> there you go. I feel like that's what people are often <laughs> with the discourse kind of circles around without meaning to be. Yeah, what we ended up what Sean and I ended up doing, we, we ended up talking about like the the experience that our friend had and then kind of abstracting it. And unfortunately as Hackmaster was a game in question, it became kind of the unintentional whipping boy, I think is what happened. Yeah. I can see that. We did not mean to do that. That was complete jerk move on our part, if that's how it came across to anybody. So that's a lot of episodes back. And if anybody stuck it out since then, I apologize for our uh, indiscretions previously. But he's dead right. I mean, if I were to go back and actually do what we're here to do today with uh, Darcy and Troy, we would want to sit down and have a Hackmaster person who knows the system or um, play the damn thing and really see how it goes. So fair points. Yeah, fine. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> I'll try Hackmaster and see what it's all about. As a matter of fact, the mechanic that he mentioned sounds very simple and straightforward. I actually probably think it would be something I would find appealing, actually. But yeah, we just gotta we just gotta get it. I don't know. I don't when he talked about how we bashed the crap out of it, I I don't know, I guess we did, but I didn't I don't know. I guess I don't remember it that way, but Well, I mean it yeah. You know, we, we deliver a message or our, our thoughts or input, and, you know, it depends on somebody takes it. And honestly, Ace, kudos to you, man, for t- uh, calling us on the carpenter. If we did something that was that came across that way, I'd rather have somebody tell us. So we can go, holy shit, that's not what I meant, man. And we can back it up and try to correct it. I mean, I don't, last thing I want to do is be that asshole who <laughs> bashes somebody's favorite game that I've never played <laughs> because that's not, I can't do that. I do not want Hack to. Hackmaster rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. I'm gonna right. I'm gonna take a sip here and uh, recover from my whipping. Darcy, you want to read the next one? <laughs> yeah, uh, hopefully I don't uh, mangle this kind person's name. So this is an email from uh, James Carruthers. That's right, something like that. Uh, hello, Brett and Sean. Props to you on your cleric episode. You stated your goals clearly and managed my expectations. I thoroughly enjoyed it. The only thing I found myself wanting was perhaps a little more specific discussion on a couple of things. One, uh, advice and or commentary on how to select one's spells for the day, both in anticipation for the adventure and encounters ahead, as well as in support of your chosen play style or domain, including a bit more explicit discussion on the ones unique to the class and tips on how to use them, perhaps. This deeper look at spells is important, I think, when advising on a spellcasting class. Uh, two, you touched on domains, but I would have enjoyed a deeper examination here, too, because the variety in domains is an important feature of the modern cleric. Oh, gosh, the modern cleric. I love this. That helps <laughs> widen its appeal to various player types. But these are small critiques on what an excellently uh, entertaining and informative podcast. As always, thank you so much for the great content you provide us over and over again. All the best. James Carruthers, Vancouver, BC. Ooh, those are some really good points. They are. We had to have Darcy read that one because I just I, I couldn't have Darcy or Troy read the one where the, where Ace told we, us we were stupid because then it would feel like <laughs> our guests were just hammering on us. It would feel horrible. Yeah, that's right. Thank so, you. Sean, what do you th- what do you what do you think, man? I think I think these are good points. You know, I we had tried to keep try to hit the right com- 
write pieces of it, but I think uh, he's got a good point there around the spellcasting components of it. We may have to go back and uh, revisit that, do a little addenda on the clerics mm-hmm. and talk a little more about domains and spellcasting and spell choosing and all that stuff. James, James, Brett told me not to. He just said, screw domains and domain spells and all this other crap. And, you know, take it from a first edition perspective. And I said, screw that stuff. Just like that Hackmaster system. I hate that crap. Get that guy out of here. You should hear what happens behind the scenes. It's crazy. Sean just threw you right under the train there. I know he did. Oh, train. Did somebody say train? (laughs) God. All right, who's up? Let's go. Troy, you're up next, buddy. Uh, Josh comments on the Facebook. Hey, guys, been listening to your show for about a year now, and I have to say I really enjoy it. But listening to your player series, in addition to the newest episode on GaryCon, really brings something I've been told really into focus, that D&D and its derivatives are still the dominant force in the hobby. Now, you may be saying no shit, But for someone who got started through Vampire and moved on to games like 7C, L5R, Shadowrun, Exalted, and Dresden Files, it is amazingly difficult to have conversations with people who have only played D&D. Especially when I can't find anything worthwhile in that set of games to really enjoy myself. It's really tough to find common ground sometimes when the best thing I can say about D&D is, yep, this game is nothing new. Congrats. Oh, ouch. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, that's, that is not a selling point there, Josh. Uh, so how do you encourage people to try new games? How do you show that interacting with the world, politics, trading, making alliances can be as fun as murdering animals and stealing from their corpses for questionable reasons at best? <laughs> and finally, how long until we get a player series not based on D&D? Where's the how to play a Torador or how to play a Street Shaman? Or how to play a Lion Clan uh, courtier. I uh, love you guys. Keep up the good work. Whew. Well, I'll tell you, Josh. Um, <laughs> thank you for eating that, Troy, by the by. And uh, Josh, the reason Sean and I started with the D&D stuff was we weren't sure how well the player series of that kind of that show, how well it would take off. Whether our listeners would uh, give a crap about it. If they're like, oh, no, this is cool and whatever. You writing in to say, yeah, I like this. I'd like to hear something that's not D&D focused is good. That's great feedback because that is something that we can shuffle into that player series of discussions that Sean and I have and talk about, hey, what would you do in a you know gothic horror game of like like Vampire? How would you play the Traitor versus the La Sombra or uh, whatever, <clears throat> Zemisi and all those other clans and so forth? So I think that does make sense. That's good stuff. Sean, what do you think? Hey. Josh, I try to get Brett to do other classes than what he's mentioned, (laughs) and he just won't let me. So I appreciate you bringing it up into the public eye because he's just beating the hell out of me over here verbally, mentally, physically. And so uh, now that you've brought it to the public eye, I think we don't have much of a choice than to do that, Brett. Yeah, Sean, fine. I'll I'll take my foot off your throat for a little bit. Sweet. Now I can breathe. (laughs) All right. Next, Angela Murray emails us hey guys great episode on conventions the various styles and the intricacies that go into running them i love conventions despite being somewhat shy i attend between six and seven throughout the year Jeez, man oh man good for her (laughs) the community that gets built up around good conventions is something i can't find anywhere else and the chance to experience new games new players new gms and everything else is something i adore 
Heck, part of my lottery plan involves becoming a full-time con attendee and having a posse of friends I take with me to them throughout the year. Only a dollar and a dream. I particularly appreciated your point about running the games you want to see at cons. While I enjoy playing more than I enjoy running games, I feel it's important to add my voice to the GMs running at cons and offer the types of games I want to play. It's terrifyingly intimidating to put yourself out there and run a game for strangers, but it can also be a great way to improve your skills as a GM. Without conventions, I'd have never had a chance to meet even half the wonderful gamers I've come to know over the last decade. You're both going to make it to QCC this year, right? Ange. <laughs> well, Ange. Re- referring yeah. to me on that last part. Yeah, I made it out to QCC last year. Ange, I don't know if you're going to go to Origins, but I am definitely going to Origins. So if you're there, Ange, I'll see you there. I am QCC is up in the air for me. Sean, I don't know about you. Yeah, you know, Ange, I want to go to Origins, but Brett just won't let me. <laughs> He's just hell? like, I don't know what his problem the theme, is. Man, what's with the theme today? <laughs> Just want to make it consistent, my man. All I got, all I got to say is, I want to know uh, where we can sign up to be part of her con posse. <laughs> exactly, that I was know, my, right? That was my first thought. I'm like, you know, Angela, I love you, dear, and uh, I just want to say, <laughs> whatever it takes, I'll carry your dice for you, books, whatever it takes. I just want to help out. That's all I'm saying. That's Troy it. just incentivized me to come up with a shirt. So, Angela, <laughs> if I can be part of your insane con posse. I will make yeah. shirts and everybody in the posse can wear them. That would be awesome. Oh, I love it. <laughs> insane con posse. Angela's insane con posse. So I'm going to ask Darcy and Troy, do you guys hit a lot of cons? Darcy, do you do a lot of cons? Troy, how about you? Yeah, uh, I hit some. Uh, last year, I hit the most I had ever I had ever done. I did a Metatopia and a Catacon back-to-back weeks, and I do Gen Con every year. Um, and then ValorCon is a Chicago-based one that's kind of up and coming, but that's mostly that's the most I've ever done, and that was a lot. <laughs> um, how about you, Trey? Um, generally, for me, it is uh, Gen Con every year, and uh, last year I did make it out to Gamehole Con. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Damn it! I, I I met you guys there. You don't remember, but that's ah, okay. crap. I'm a I'm a total ass. Oh yeah, Brett. I live in your backyard, and I've met you, and I know you. Oh yeah, but you don't remember me. We we, we met for like ten minutes. It's right. okay. Ten minutes too. Oh, that's great. I'm gonna go crawl under that's, a rock. It takes like fifteen just to become conscious over here, Troy. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked briefly after the uh, Monty Cook seminar. Uh, oh yeah, at, yeah, yeah. At Game Hole last year. Oh yeah, that's after I was that before I had Monty punch me. Uh, <laughs> I think so. Yes. Um, but yeah, so yeah, just a couple for me last year. This year, uh, I'm hoping to uh, get to uh, Gen Con for sure, and then uh, either uh, a Catacon or Metatopia, as Darcy had good things to say about them. Yeah, very good things. Um, Potentially game hole again, and then uh, one of these years, since it's like forty minutes away, I will actually get to Evercon as well. Sweet! <laughs> First weekend in January, man. Yep. Nice. I, I run. I run that con. I, I run that con. That's why I'm pushing it. Ah, nice. Uh, Angela Murray, I may get to play in one of her games at Gen Con this year, and I'm really, really, really excited about it. So, uh, anyone who should get a chance, like. 
Angela runs amazing games from everything I can hear. So if you see her at a con or, you know, go read her Gnome Stew posts, she's really smart and uh, a great storyteller. So I'm really excited to be in her game finally. If she if she GMs as well as she plays, I played with her when Christine really? ran uh, QCC oh. last year, and she was a blast to play with. So yes, awesome. if I can imagine. GMs half, half as good as she plays, she'll be amazing. Have Perfect. you have you met her? Have you met her, Darcy? Yes, I met her last year at Gen Con, but that was the first that was the first time, and she was awesome. Uh, yeah, I need more of Angela in my life. Everyone does. Because <laughs> you're your fellow gnomers or whatever they exactly. call you, stewards. Gnome stewards, gnomer stewards, <laughs> gnomes, gnomes, just gnomes, gnomes. We, you know the the preferred nomenclature is gnomes. <laughs> preferred nomenclature, I love it. <laughs> you gotta love it. <clears throat> All right. Oh, we got yeah, we got one more here. We've got uh, hey guys, hope you had a blast at Gen, uh, GaryCon. Dur talking Gary and Jen. I get my confused here. All right, hope you had a blast at GaryCon, and thanks for the shout out on episode one thirty one. Uh, in regards to episode 132, Sean is right. The reason clerics could only use the blunt bludgeoning weapons was because blunt bludgeoning weapons were the weapons that could deal non-lethal damage, which was important because it was generally out of alignment or the deity's wishes to kill. This was, of course, back when clerics had to be good. Keep up the awesomeness, Michael Drescher. Michael's one of the local guys. Uh, he's actually closer to me. He's out in Sauk, uh, Sauk City area. So cool. Thank you, Michael. I put that in there because the part that he says that Sean's right. I kind of glossed. I kind of glossed over that. I choked a little bit when I read it. <laughs> All right, let's get into the main topic. Oh my god! Oh my god! We've got Troy and Darcy here to talk about Fatal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Oh Jesus! <laughs> Cipher system. If you've been living under a rock. Co-hosts of Cipher Speak, Brett and I are going to learn something. Well, both Sean and I have. I own a copy of Cipher Rulebook. I've read it. I've talked about it on the show briefly. I'm like this sounds really cool. Player facing dice. I need to run this at some point. It's in the stack of shit that Brett needs to run. I haven't got to yet. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so then we talked. I talked to Sean. He's like, "Oh, I got a two. Oh, that sounds really good." Blah blah blah. Back and forth. We should do another. Uh, system deep dive like we did with Savage Worlds and DCC because those went over really well and I learned a ton about both of them. And I said, Sean, do we know anybody who knows this stuff? And apparently Troy lives next door to me practically. So yeah, yeah, we got people that like live right freaking here. And uh yeah, so here, this is why. This is why you're here. You know this, we do not. So I don't want to commit another full paw and have a guy like Ace come and throttle me. So uh you were you were here to enlighten us. We'll do our best. All right. <laughs> Sean, do you have anything else you want to add there, brother, before we go? Oh, man, let's get this thing rocking. All right. So this is published by uh, Monty Cook Games. So Monty Cook, in case you don't know who that is, it's some guy. Um, he's done some stuff mm-hmm. like 3.0, uh, Numenera, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Visible Sun, small name within the industry. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, – how long – Darcy or Troy, do you guys remember when – this the cipher system first debuted just offhand. Do you remember that? Uh, it was Gen Con twenty thirteen. Mm-hmm. Not too bad then. This is also part quiz show, by the way. This is why I'm asking <laughs> random questions you were not prepared for. I need a buzzer, <laughs> Mister Trivia. Fifty four hours <laughs> of trivia over there. You should be able to answer the snot out of all these questions. So, am I correct then? Cipher system as 
in a <coughs> excuse me standalone rule book like the core rule book the cipher system rule book I'm looking at my hands here uh came out after Numenera is that the when Numenera strange and then cipher or what was the order do we know yeah I believe that was it uh Numenera and then that was really popular and people dug the mechanics a ton and so the strange got funded and they brought on Bruce Cordell and then uh you know people were already making so many hacks of it by that point I think they realized they ought to just release a core rule book Nice. So when we say core rulebook, one of the things that um, it's not – so when I read the Cypher system, I looked at it. My first fear was like, well, I don't – the Numenera thing, I'm like, okay, kind of interesting to me. Uh, I don't know if the if that whole setting thing speaks to me or not as, you know, from my creative brain. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And I look at this. I'm like, so it's a core system. It's, you know – it's it's setting rule. It has everything you need to make characters um, mock things up into different settings and genres. But it is the cipher system itself is kind of like a GURPS, really, in a way. It's just this universal mm-hmm. system that you can use as a toolkit. Exactly. <clears throat> so I pulled from a theme. Basically, we tried to kind of. I want to find something that was like the theme. So I went to, out to the website, of course, Money Cook Games, and. Um, a little quote here I'll throw out. The Cypher system focuses on narrative, unleashing the creativity of the GM and players. Some people call it a quote-unquote rules-light system, but it has all the power and sophistication of games that are much more mechanically heavy and substantially more flex and, and substantially more flexible. Cool. Um, I, I read that, and again, when I read the rule book itself, I'm like, wow, this sounds really, really cool. Um, I've not played it though, Sean. Have you played it, Sean? Have you played it all? I, I have not played the Cipher System, though I do own it, and uh, I have not played Numenera or The Strange, but have found the Cipher System itself uh, intriguing for sure. Yeah, I think it it hits a like Goldilocks zone for people like me, and uh, but I think uh, I don't know if if you had initial feelings like this, but for some people. Uh, they see it, you know, people who play a lot of like story games and indie games are like, oh my gosh, it's, it's such a rules heavy system. You know, why would you ever want to deal with all that bloat, which is hilarious to me. And people from like, who play D and D are like, oh my gosh, it's such a story game. Who would want it? You know, how could you possibly make anything run with that? <laughs> so I've seen, I've seen both of those arguments, but for a lot of people, I think it hits a good sweet spot of kind of more tangible than things like fate, which are, you know, operating at a different level of reality. You know, you sort you sort of you roll to like perform an action as opposed to like provoking an enemy or something more like higher level. Um so yeah, it hits my like my needs for like concrete enough for me to work with, but without getting in my way for all the wacky stuff I want to try. So Troy, what drug you into it? When you when you first experienced it or saw it or read it, what was the thing that so, so, so what got me, uh, initially actually kind of the opposite of, uh, you, Brett is, uh, the setting of Numenera, uh, just the, uh, well, so I should back up a little bit. The first thing was like, Oh, Monty Cook is making a new game. I'll check that out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but then I really wanted to, to run it as soon as I started, uh, kind of diving into the the setting of Numenera and and what it was and and just the the weird and the the different things that you can do in, in the setting of Numenera. So that's kind of what drew me in. Um, however, uh, once I started running it, uh, very much like Darcy, it fits kind of that perfect uh, slot for me as far as complexity. Um, you know, I'm. 
uh, you know, I've run a fair number of games. You know, I definitely haven't run all the games, but uh, it, it's it, it's a good level of complexity for me to be able to still manage the story and manage what's going on when I'm running. And there still seems to be enough, excuse me, depth there for players to, you know, kind of still have some things to, to grab onto and latch onto. So it really fits that kind of, perfect spot for me as far as what I'm looking for in a game system to be able to tell good stories, uh, but still have enough game around the game uh, for me. Cool. Okay. So we were initially, we had kind of laid out a little bit of an outline here, which I know to our listeners would be like, what, you have an outline? Holy shit. This is guys really (laughs) plotted this one out. I want to skip past the settings and so on. And I want to talk more about the mechanics. See, we've been touching on that right now. And um, when we say it's got enough, meet to it that it, it hits this Goldilocks zone, as, as you said, Darcy. Um, that was a thing that reached me as well, is I don't... Um, I've played Amber Diceless. I have played um, games like that, and I know Sean has played Fiasco and um, mm-hmm. those type of GM-less events and so on. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So how does... And I've said this earlier, player-facing dice, which is really intriguing to me. I like that in my gumshoe games. So tell us, um, either Darcy and or Troy, go, tell me, how does this damn thing work? I've got 20-siders, 12s, 8s. What do I do? What's the core mechanic on this sucker? Um, Well, the core mechanic is a 20-sided die. That's all you need to do uh, 90% of everything in the game. Um, Basically, uh, to boil it down, Everything, every obstacle in the game has a level. Uh, what this does from a GM perspective is makes creatures, traps, doors, locks, uh, everything really easy to create uh, when you need it, uh, if you don't have it ahead of time. So um, if you are going up against a kobold, it's a level two creature. If you're going up against a dragon, it might be a level eight or nine creature. And the number that you need to kind of overcome that obstacle or if it's a creature to hit that creature and do damage is the level times three. So basically, you know, that level two cobalt, you need to roll a six or better on your D20. That level eight dragon, you need to roll a 24 or better on your D20, which is kind of hard. Um, Without training or effort or you know help somehow, right? Yep. Okay. So now that's that's how I hit something. If I say, okay, um, Troy, you're game mastering. We're playing. I've rolled to hit the kobold. I hit it. The next kobold comes up to hit me. Are you rolling to hit me, or am I rolling? What what happens there when you when you come at me as the game master? What happens? Nope. Uh, the exact same thing. Uh, I say the kobold is swinging at you. Brett, uh, it's a level two kobold. You need to make a speed defense roll. And it's level two. You need to roll a six or better on your d20 to avoid that kobold's sword or spear or whatever it has. And then using that speed uh, bonus minuses or whatever to give me or trainings and so on, as, as, Darcy, as Darcy mentioned, to modify the number. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, so the game master pretty much you I could show up with my book, my notes, my plan in my head. I need no dice. Correct. Uh the only thing I occasionally will roll is percentile if I'm rolling on a random table. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Crazy. So, when you guys when you when you do that, now in Gumshoe it's I uh, 75-80 percentile type it's player facing most things. If I'm going to hit you in Gumshoe, I still I end up rolling. Mm. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that so that's okay. But I mentioned this to some of my friends. They're like, "Well, that sounds really odd. Why? Why? What? How, what? What's the game? How, how's that threatening?" And so on. And well, I don't understand. So, how have you when you run with that absolute player facing mechanic a hundred percent of the time? How does how's it go over? Have you have or do people grok it really quick and like, oh, this is totally cool? Or does are you finding that certain types of gamers, like if you come from a D and D background, is it harder to get? Do fate players go like, ah, oh, no, this is totally cool? Have you experienced anything like that? Ooh, that's a good question. So one thing I would say with respect to like, oh, it's not stressful, you know, because the GM isn't rolling. I I think it's really cruelly stressful in a different way because, you know, the fate of the player is in their hands. So it it really takes out the adversarial nature of the GM and it's more like you're screwing yourself over player, which I like. Um, And I think the GM is a GM looks scary and has some nefarious plot moment. You know, that lever gets pulled when they use GM intrusions, which we may get to. But in terms Mm -hmm. of grokking the basic mechanic, I've introduced a ton of new people to gaming through Cypher system, and it is so easy. Uh, and at least with with the people that I've been running with, um, and I and I've done like twenty minute demos with people who have never touched, did, don't even know what role playing games are. I've done that at like the Adler Planetarium, this like super fast lightning speed Cypher system Numenera game, um, where we were just churning people in and out, and it was it worked really well. So I I mean I could I played a game with people who didn't know what a role playing game was in the Cypher system in twenty minutes. Um, so that was pretty cool. So Very I think cool. people who are new to gaming come to it really naturally. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I get the sense that some story gamers find it a little distasteful because, uh, you know, there's there's this baggage that comes the, with the D20 and there's a little bit more. Um, there are rules for combat and some people recoil from that. Um, and part of the reason is just that combat moves really slow if you don't have a nice structure. And so... You know, there aren't that many rules of the cipher system and a decent amount are like, how should armor work? How do health points work? Um, and that doesn't mean it has to be all about combat, but uh, I think that turns people off sometimes. They get nervous that it's going to be too crunchy. Um, how about you, Troy? What have you been experiencing? Um, I think from a player perspective, I've never really seen any, you know, pushback or, or, or anything from them rolling all the dice. And And as Darcy said, I think that it actually... Depending on how what your uh, DM style or GM style is like, uh, it actually ratchets up the tension a little bit because if you, as a GM you're rolling behind a screen and the players don't really know what you're rolling, it, it to me there's that almost takes a little bit of tension out of it, right? Whatever's going to happen, they're just going to tell you. Whereas if everything is happening out in the open and the players are rolling it, you know. They will give that dice an extra shake or two before they let it go for that really big roll. Good point. I like, um, I like the extra the extra edge of cruelty that I've given to the player here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If if you roll well, you won't die. Oh, great! Yeah, Thanks, exactly. Man. It's all on you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, lovely. So the where I've actually seen more, I guess, uh, skepticism is actually from the GM side of the table. Uh, people are like. You mean I I don't I don't roll any dice? How do I, you know, like how do I influence things? Or you know, like what's the, you, you know, like it's hard for them to get, you know, to break out of that D and D or you know Dungeon World or whatever game. I mean, they all the the, the DM rolls dice to kind of break out of that and say, yeah, you're not, you know, it it really does take that adversarialness out of it. 
Um, and, and so that's where I've, I've had some people be like, ah, does that, does that really work? Is it really fun if I'm not slinging yeah. dice? For some people that takes some of the fun away, but I think it offers different kinds of fun for the mm-hmm. GM. And, and for me, I know misdirected Mark, uh, Phil talks about this a lot, cognitive load. I continue to be amazed how much completely taking math out of my head while I'm running a cipher system game because I'm not rolling any dice, so I'm really not doing any math, um, allows my brain to just function at a story level. It's it's weird, It's but it's something that the more I've run it, the more I've come to realize that that's what my, my head is doing. If I don't have to think about any math, I can just think about narrative. Yeah, you're, you're focused on plot, moving different things. If you've got five, six clocks running at once and 16 different bad guys all trying to do this big intrigue thing, while the players are dealing with it, you're like, clickety, click, click, clackety, clack, clack, boom. Hey, guess what? You know, or- orcs kick in the door. Son of a, you know, because you're ready to do that. You're not. Okay. All right. Very Player cool. engagement too, right? Like I can spend a little bit more of my brain to look at, you know, to like watch people's body language, especially at cons. Like who is into it? Who isn't? Is everybody okay at the table? Is that person been waiting to get like, you know, are they really on the edge of their seat and they want to say something? I, I think it gives me more brain space to call on people and make sure that like everybody's having maximum fun. <laughs> okay. Very cool. So the, there's a D20 is the core mechanic. It'll get us out of 90% of our jams as a, as a game master perspective. We can always just say, Hey, you know, make a roll and everyone knows what die to grab onto. Now I know there's, there, there's pools, efforts, edge, and those other types of components with that mechanic. Do you guys want to grab a little bit more onto that piece of it? Get a little more detailed on it? Uh, sure. I'll, I'll start. I'll kind of talk through the, the pools and then I'll walk, let Darcy talk about the modifiers. Sweet. Uh, so, uh, every character in the cipher system has three pools, um, might, speed, and intellect. These pools essentially function as both your resource to do things and your hit points, basically. Uh, so it, it, it's a little bit of a resource management game. Uh, from that perspective. So uh, in your might pool, you may uh, spend uh, points from your pool to activate might-based abilities, like if you have something like thrust, which does bonus damage uh, if you're thrusting with a sword. Or uh, if you get hit with a sword, the points will initially come out of your might pool until it's empty. Okay. So there's always this kind of push and pull of is it better to spend my points to be more effective at the task I'm trying to do or is it better to save on hold on to them because you know I I don't want to lose them all and and be beaten down and and go down the the damage track towards death so so that's kind of the the main focus of the pools it's it, it causes characters or players to make a lot of decisions around how and what they want to do. It's actually much more than the dice mechanic. It's the thing that I see mm-hmm. players coming from other systems struggle with a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to, in the beginning, want to be much more of a hoarder of those points and save them for uh, taking damage, and, and, you know, because they don't want to, you know, get closer to death. Versus I want to spend my points to do cool stuff. And then as I see players go 
and play more and get more familiar with the system, it's like, oh, absolutely, I want to do this thing, so I am going to spend extra points. Yeah, and then when they figure out how the pools refresh and how long that yeah. takes, then you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, this is totally fine. I had some yeah. of that in the gumshoe games when I would run them initially. Yeah, these, yeah, points, the, <clears throat> these points that you're husbanding, trying to figure out how you're going to get this different stuff, and you go, and then Darcy's played it before. It's like, oh, yeah, I spend a point to get extra this and this, that, and the other thing. And the other person across the table, she's like, oh, man, oh, I, I don't want to waste anything. I don't want to waste anything. Yeah. Not realizing <laughs> that, quote, unquote, wasting it is the game. Get in there. You've got to gotta get in it. So, mm-hmm. okay, I like that. that, that that's very cool. So that's pools. So what other kind of modifiers are on there, Darcy? Yeah, so I the example I always like to use is like, unfortunately you all know me now when you're in the Midwest at some point I may ask you to help me like move from my apartment and I've been living here for too many years and I'm up on the second floor and there's a tight staircase and it's a really bad job and you're only getting paid in pizza okay so if you're helping Darcy move her terrible terribly large couch out of her apartment and like you've already spent all day like you know helping me move boxes and things let's say it's like a level three task to successfully navigate that that couch down my back staircase, which is very, you know, treacherous. So that would mean you have to beat a nine or higher on a D20. So if you're not trying hard or if you're not trained in something relevant or if you're not, you know, using some special ability, that's like a 50-50 shot of like, you know, eating wooden staircase and, uh, and couch. So what you probably want to do is spend some effort, right? So you would spend three points from your might pool, probably, and it would become a level two task. So you'd only have to beat a six or higher. And so that's how you kind of manage this task matters to me more than some other ones. And so I, I want to try harder at it. However, um, you know, your pool's going down over time as you spend the effort on these tricky tasks. So if I got in a fight with you at the end, you would be much easier for me to punch out <laughs> because uh, you've been spending all day like lifting heavy things. You're just weakened. Um, and so, and you know, th- so that's like, that's effort mechanic is how you spend points from your pool to change the, the the level of difficulty for you, which is really cool. But also if you like work out all the time and you totally lift, bro, that could be an that would totally be an asset to this task. So, your your asset or your training in lifting, bro, uh, would take it naturally down from a three to a two. And then if you spent effort, it could be to a two to a one or even zero. You can you can bring difficulties all the way down to zero and not have to roll, um, which is pretty cool. Well, Sean, we 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 realized right now, Sean, that we can't we don't move anything from Darcy's house because she's waiting at the bottom of the stairs to kick our ass, so she doesn't have to feed <laughs> us true. pizza. That's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna get a big ass couch, yeah. forget that, and yeah. lives upstairs. It's in a trap. It's yeah, definitely it's a trap. trap. That's what's gonna me. happen. I'll get down there, and she's gonna push me down the stairs. Here, Brett, go boom, big Pollock down the stairs. Great, great. I'm beaten, bruised. Now I don't have to feed you pizza. Good times. All right, so uh, learn that. But what's cool is that also the skill system in Cypher System is uh, there's not a set le- list of skills. So like lifting bro, totally valid. <laughs> Absolutely valid. Oh, nice. So okay. There's, there's kind of an interesting negotiation that you have at the table um, when people are really trying to do something very difficult and they're trying to see if anything could possibly relate to this task. And so um, it I've found that it doesn't really bog down play much because there's only so many slots to like argue what fits in but um but it's been it it forces players to think kind of creatively about how they're approaching it and if they could you know make it work better in their favor or not so i think it works it's like it's very very flexible yeah and the efforts can help me figure out is this getting this couch down now now 
in, you know, do I have to, do I have to do this because there's a, you know, big Rottweiler foaming at the mouth trying to chase me as I move this couch? Or is it like, I've got all day to do it. Or if I don't get it down quick, Darcy's going to punch me. So exactly. So <laughs> how much effort do I spend to get it down there before I get my ass kicked one way or the other? Okay. I get it. Yep. All right. So, um, are edges different than effort or is that kind of and you know, the same or is that just a typo that I have in there? No, edge, uh, edges are different. Edges yep. are different. Okay. So, so edge, uh, it's, uh, edge is a stat, uh, that is applied to a pool that reduces the cost of any action you are spending points on. Uh, so in Darcy's example of, uh, moving stuff down her stupid staircase, uh, <laughs> And, you know, normally we said that it takes, uh, three, uh, points from your might pool to, uh, you know, spend a level of effort to move something down that staircase. If you have a point of edge in your might pool, then it only costs two. So what this means is that you can do the same task more often than somebody who doesn't have edge and has the same starting pool. So it kind of like increases your endurance. Um, and, and it can be increased, uh, to the point of where, you know, you can even get a free level of effort. So if you have three edge, you, you would just auto spend a level of effort on every might task, potentially, uh, points for, uh, doing other abilities and stuff kind of also roll into that cost. So you kind of have to take and weigh that, but essentially it just reduces the cost of any effort or any point spend on an action that, that you're making. So in that mundane example, right, if I'm a professional mover, hey, I could do this all day long, not so hard, yep, I know exactly. all the tricks, I've got the tools. If I'm a professional sniper, hey, guess what? It's easier for me to shoot people. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. okay, I get that. It, it gives you your moments of awesome kind of a, a little easier, I think, um, and I, th- I think that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So the one of the, one of the pieces that when I started reading Cypher System, what, two, there's two pieces that hit me and went, huh? Um, ciphers mm-hmm. and GM intrusions. So let's talk. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. Well, hold all right. Sean. I got a. Qu- I got a question. Shoot it. So with the with the effort and edge and though in spending those points, are they recuperated and how? Mm. Do you, do you get those back after you spend them? Yeah. So your edge is is always there as like your free discount. So that doesn't never goes away. So anything you're doing is just a little cheaper. But then your pool points. So it's standing exactly. And then your pool points. You have. I mean. At least for me, cipher system characters, you have to, you have to work to knock them down, man. They are resilient. There, you get four chances per day to do like a recovery roll where you roll a d6, the only other die you really need. Um, <laughs> and then you can like add p- points back wherever you want in your pools. So you can go from like, you know, you could have been, you could have zero in two of your pools where like, you only have one pool left with any points in it. And you like, all you can do is crawl. And if you can do a recovery roll, you could put one point in each and you'd be like, vaguely functional (laughs) like you've kind of popped back up a little bit um so you know each day you have like up to at least like 20 you know almost 30 points back in your pools like it's it's pretty enormous but you're basically your first recovery roll takes an action your second takes 10 minutes your third takes an hour and your fourth is sleeping so you still have to ration it but um it's not like you're you're waiting days to recover from crazy injuries or anything Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I like that. With resource management, I figured there had to be some some of that, right? Okay. And I like that I like the pacing out of that too. It's kind of like the short rest, long rest and five E and other yeah. Yeah. similar types of mechanics where you're like, look, you can do a little thing now, you know, take a breather, go back up, get five more boxes from Darcy's place. 
or come back tomorrow <laughs> after you've rested up. Yeah. And guess what? You could probably move another couch if you had to. But yep. okay. No, I get it. That makes sense. So now Cypher. Yeah, yeah. Cyphers and GM intrusions are the two that when I read the book, I went, well, so Cyphers, um, lay it on me. What the hell? What? So Cypher system, Dur, there's Cyphers in it. What the hell's a Cypher and how do we use these things? Troy, you want to take it? Sure, sure. Ciphers are one-use items. Uh, they can have uh, a wide variety of power levels, uh, and they are meant to be uh, spent, found, spent again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are all kinds of different effects that these ciphers can have. Uh, one of them uh, that we were just talking about, refreshing pools, uh, you can find a lot of restorative ciphers. So it can be an injector or a a pill or a patch, all kinds of different things. You slap it on and it gives you 1d6 plus 5 back to a particular pool or any pool of your choice or, or whatever that particular cipher happens to be. Um, a lot of other ciphers, uh, it kind of depends on the setting that you're in, how those ciphers look. Uh, in a more mundane setting, uh, you don't have a lot of um, like ray guns and bombs and things like that that are ciphers because you know if you if you're in a mundane setting and you can somehow get access to a hand grenade that's not really a cipher uh it's more like a moment of inspiration or a moment of perfect memory so you you know can remember 20 seconds of whatever it is that you saw um in something like numenera ciphers can be literally almost anything and that's kind of where the cipher system got its name from is in numenera they're very specifically ciphers and these ciphers are a lot of different things um you know some of my favorites are there is a mystery box that when you open it you roll 2d20 and then there's a table that tells you what happens uh if you roll two ones like one of my players does did you are immediately uh teleported to another dimension which was fun and interesting um but they are also pretty powerful, but you can use them once and then they're gone. So a lot of times players will overcome a obstacle that you have set before them with a cipher because they have that magic bullet. And you're like, all right, on we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it it really gives the players a lot of flexibility. I like to see how players choose to use ciphers. Uh, they will often... You know, you have a, like, there's a force field cipher basically, uh, in Numenera and the Strange, you know, that creates a 10 foot by 10 foot square, you know, wall of force. And you're like, oh, they're going to like put that up to block or whatever. But, you know, I've seen players use it as bridges, as like part of a ladder, all kinds of different things where they, they use that, that wall of force to their advantage. So because ciphers are one you, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Darcy. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, in Numenera, the setting is a billion years in the future. There's all these civilizations that have uh, risen to enormous technological prowess and then left or died or something. So there's all sorts of weird tech lying around. And so ciphers like naturally emerged from the setting and have been reskinned in all these different settings. So it, it made a ton of sense in Numenera. And it's this like interesting, weird box of random goodies sort of in the other settings, I think that, that mm-hmm. gets skinned to be more appropriate later. So Deshaun's question around like, you know, pool refreshes and stuff. Ciphers are one shot meant to be used. And 
am I right? They're meant to be used like every session. So if you have a cipher, use it this session, and because you're going to get more, you know, they're, they're not like, oh, well, you use the one you had for the whole game. There yeah. are they. Are, how are they? I mean, how are they distributed? Are they designed? And it sounds like they're designed to be used not as quick as you get them, but don't hoard them. That's the feeling I'm getting. Yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> yep, absolutely. In fact, uh, pretty much every setting has some sort of punishment for hoarding them. You generally <laughs> yeah. have a cipher. You have a cipher limit. Like, for instance, in Numenera, uh, depending on your character type, you either can have safely hold two or three ciphers at once. Um, and if you hold more than that, um, you know, it's not like immediate, but if you hold them for more than a day or two, then the GM rolls a percentile die and adds, I think it's 10 per extra cipher you have or something like that. And again, if you get up to like 200, so if you were like hoarding like 25 ciphers or something, uh, essentially a nuclear explosion happens when the ciphers all mix together and, and no more character. Yeah, it's like the incompatible energies are, are like, you know, messing with each other. Nice. Sean would like that because it's another way to punish players. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's always a choice. Yeah. So how, how do you get them? I mean, when you just walk in at the start of the session, I sit down and Darcy goes, hey, Brett, here's a cipher. I mean, how do they pop up in a game? Are they just injected through storyline or are they handed out like cards? Again, stupid question. I know for somebody who understands this, they're listening to me going, Brett, you dumbass. But um, that's a quite, literally questions I get asked by other players like, well, you've read that. How, how do you give them out? Do you give them out at the beginning of every session? What happens? You have to find them in a story. What happens if the game master screws you and doesn't give you any in the story? I'm like, I don't fucking know. I'll ask. So here I am asking. Yeah, I would say it's a bit ambiguous. Like in Numenera, it's like stuff everywhere. So if you stub your toe, there should be at least, you know, if not a cipher, an oddity, you know, some weird bit of tech. So, you know, that's more like you find it in your environment. It can be, it's like a lot of times they would be used as like a reward, like someone may pay you in ciphers or something. Um, you know, they're, they're physical, tangible objects. But for things like where it's, you know, the divine inspiration or if it's more of a mundane setting, uh, I think those are, I mean, I, I've always, I don't know if you know the actual rule about this, Troy, but I've always given them out more like, you know, the cipher system talks about rewarding discovery. Like you get XP, you get, you know, advancement tokens when you make some d discovery about yourself, about the situation, about your world. Um, and so I tend to also award like intangible ciphers around that time, sort of you did a good you know, or like if, if there are gods in your setting, it may be like you did something appropriate to your, you know, your cleric, you know, your cleric's religion, right? That would be a great time to give some divine inspiration. Um, what do you do, Trey? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's very setting dependent, um, you know, and things like Numenera and the Strange, you can buy or find ciphers relatively easily. But yeah, in, in like a mundane setting or even like a super setting, a lot of times yeah. ciphers in a super setting are like the like the little extra oomph that, you know, a superhero has, you know, to get over a specific thing. And, and yeah, a lot of times in those settings, um, I, I tend to sometimes I'll hand them out, you know, if when inspiration strikes, but a lot of times it's more of you know, a set refresh. Now that might be every set session that might be uh, mid session, right? We come to a good stopping point, mm -hmm. you know, where the party is going to rest overnight and everybody gets, everybody who is not at their cipher limit gets an additional cipher. 
Um, so it, it, it's really, it's really GM dependent. And even in Numenera where they are everywhere, it's still the, the GM sometimes has yeah. to, um, start with reminding players or making them very obvious. And then eventually the players are just like, Oh, there's an old like machine over there. Can I rip mm-hmm. it apart and see if there's any ciphers inside? Yep. And you say yes. And then they, you know, make a Numenera check and see if they can pull out any ciphers. Okay. So using, using the term cipher is like, is this a cipher? Asking that question, player to game master is legitimate. I find a thing. Can this be used as a cipher? That's a legitimate question. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Sean, do you have any questions on ciphers, man? No, man. Good stuff. Very good. We should get on to GM intrusions. Yeah, GM intrusions. So this is the stuff I like. I'm like, okay, I can, I'm a GM. I can just stomp on something. So what can I stop? <laughs> what does this let me? How can I enforce my will upon my people? <laughs> uh, GM intrusions are great. They're they're one of my favorite aspects of the cipher system. You're basically bribing players to make an unexpected little jog in the the current flow of the narrative. So sometimes that might be something like, aha, a, a creepy door opens behind you, something mysterious, you know, it's almost like um like a soft move in, you know, apocalypse world based games where some 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 strange new thing happened. It's not clear like it's not just a bad thing happens to you. It's like something surprising, unexpected maybe bad but uh you still have to choose how you deal with it and so you you bribe them with this maybe bad thing maybe interesting thing hopefully and you bribe them with two xp cards or tokens um and so they can either pay you an experience point uh and reject it so either like you know the the getting over the obstacle becomes like really easy or you thought the you thought something bad was going to happen but it turned out okay and so the bad GM intrusion doesn't happen, or they accept the XP and give one to a friend. Um, and so, yeah, this is a just a great tool I find for, you know, things are stagnating a little bit, like, like constantly wanting to think of new GM intrusions kind of helps like shuffle up my own game. You know, it's like, okay, what, what new element could I add here? What, what excite, exciting freshness could I add? And it's also like when players are bickering about, how best to, you know, when players are getting into like analysis paralysis, holding up two XP cards and looking ominous is like the best thing to get everybody like here and now. Okay. A thing is happening. This is exciting. And they like focus on the new exciting jog in the storyline. Does that make sense? It totally does. I mean, the players that want to, in a Cthulhu game, that want to turtle up and don't do anything or any yeah. game really. And yep. you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Here's the deal. Here's these two. This is going to happen. You can either. Yeah. You can hear the scream of the Bayaki. Yeah. <laughs> you have the Bayaki's coming. What are you going to do? Ah, oh, crap. Um, yep. Spend an XP to make it go away. Good. You're just giving me your goodies, or are you going to deal with it? Hang on to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. And and the way, I've, the way I look at this is I, I think that this is actually one of the more ingenious mechanics of the Cypher system because I think it's something that a lot of GMs do anyway. Totally. You know, when when you're playing any game, sometimes as the GM, you know, you're going to break the rules to make whatever you want to happen for the story happen. Um, and to me, a lot of times in the cipher system, when if you frame that as a GM intrusion, it's you're now breaking the rules in the framework of the rules. So <laughs> it, it really, you know, the players, you don't get the you know, like if you were playing a D and D or a Pathfinder, and the 
you know, the creature can't fit through the, the tunnel that you're in and you're like, ah, we're safe. And then, you know, like something, you know, the walls crack as like the creature can like expand, you know, get in a little bit and expand itself to get to the, get to the heroes or whatever. Um, you know, in Pathfinder, you're like, well, uh, we, we, what we plan to do this and, and you just totally mess it up. And in the cipher system, you're like, look, more drama. Um, <laughs> and more resources for you to deal with what we just laid on you, right? right? Yep. And yeah, it's that ninjas are going to kick in the door because you all are sitting too long. But guess yep. what? The ninjas kicking the door come with the GM intrusion mechanics. So it's not just me being a dink to yeah. kick you guys in the ass to make you move. No, it's a thing that I'm supposed to do mechanically to make the story move. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and the other thing that I, I do like, you know, there is that there is that XP that they can pay to not have the GM intrusion happen. Um which I think is to me has always been the indication of player feedback to the GM of, we don't like your intrusions. Um, you know, I think I, I don't think I've ever had one rejected. Uh, so that to me tells me that the players are enjoying my intrusions. They trust me. They trust what my intrusions are. And, it's it's good but if you are you know if you have a session and you try four gm intrusions and two or three of them are rejected then you probably need to have a discussion with your players of okay what don't you like about these intrusions you know what can i do better to make you know either make the story more interesting or make these intrusions something that that you want to kind of explore that's interesting because it's that mechanical feedback to say, hey, Darcy, no, no, yeah. no. And then she says, Brett, what's the deal? You know, in another game, she'd see me go, oh, for Christ's sake, really? Ninjas again? And the <laughs> yeah. exasperation on my face. And then she'd go, oh, is he mad as character? Is he mad as yeah. player? But this way, I'm like, no, deny, deny. And then that gives Darcy immediate feedback. Like, what's your problem, man? What's going on? Okay. Yeah. Or like, you know, I think sometimes the almost the beat structure, right? Like sometimes I've had people reject an intrusion because they were like, no, this is a moment of win for us. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So like it, it's also kind of them shaping the like the the pacing of the drama, I think. So it's really cool. How many intrusions are normal in a game session? Now, I know game session itself can be odd, right? You can play a two hour mm-hmm. session or, or like my when I get together with my group and I go for eight to ten hours. You know, but what yeah. what would you if you normally sit down for like a four to six hour, would you expect to have two, three, four, eight intrusions? Does it is there a limit? Does it matter? I shoot for at least one per player. Uh, sometimes I don't make that. Sometimes I go way over that, you know, um, but that's what I try to shoot for. How about you, Troy? Uh, absolutely. In a uh, campaign setting, uh, one planned GM pr- intrusion per player. Uh, I bring up planned because GM intrusions also happen when the players roll a one on any uh, roll, and for oh. that one, they for that they one they get don't get XP. That's just <laughs> them rolling a one. Uh, so then you get to inject a little bit of extra drama when that happens. But yeah, I shoot for one planned, uh, per, per player as well. Uh, in one shots, often that climbs higher than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, in a, in my campaign setting, what I would do is I would set out 10 XP cards in front of me, which is five intrusions. And I would always have them in front of me so I could see how I was progressing during the session. Nice. Are intrusions per player, or can they also be per, for the group as a whole? Can you do them en masse? Yeah, you can definitely do them. If you do a mass intrusion rather than like two XP to a single player, you just give one XP to everyone. Okay, that makes sense. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. All right. And I'd be giving that stuff out like freaking hot potatoes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it works best when you are, I think. I, I think the best games are the ones where the XP is flowing. And um, I think people get really into GM intrusions, like even on ones. like So XP can be used to advance and it can be used to re- re- reject GM intrusions. And it can also be used to re- re-roll any die roll. And I, I mean... I feel like most of my players don't tend to re-roll ones because they're so pumped about like, oh my gosh, what weird, interesting thing is going to happen, uh, which is great. The, all the dice are placer, are placer, player facing, right? So those game masters are saying, oh my God, I, I'm losing control. I don't have a die in my hand. How can I help enforce mm-hmm. or predict or do something? This intrusions, to your point, Troy, it's pretty ingenious because it's a mechanical thing that we do anyway yes. as good game masters to poke and prod. <clears throat> and it gives me back back some of that Game Master control, a little old school style, saying, hey, look, here's a thing you can do to force an event to occur per player or per the group. You have to give them a little XP for it, but you know what? I mean, whatever, they're going to begin some XP anyway, but you get to do something to influence that whole storyline. I like it. I think that's a mm-hmm. really cool idea. Yep. Sean, you got anything else on those, man? No, I love that stuff, man. So Love GM intrusions. <clears throat> it's really neat. I like it. Just looking at the outline, do we want to kind of talk about XP and advancement since we kind of uh, bridged into that a little bit? Yeah, let's do that. And I definitely, after that, I want to for sure make sure we touch on character building because the character sentence and some of the stuff I think is unique or interesting. I want to make sure we get that. So let's talk XP and advancements. So we've talked about XPs being awarded through GM intrusions and so on. But Darcy, you mentioned uh, this much like Numenera and stuff. It's, it's a a game about discovery and the rewards should be around that. So mm-hmm. I'll start with you, Darcy, when for XP, how does, um, how's XP supposed to be working here? What, what should we be giving it out for and what volumes are we looking at? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's again, a little bit ambiguous and, and I'm, I'm kind of new to campaign play. So Troy's probably better for like campaign thinking. I, I think, you know, the XP should flow <laughs> like, like <laughs> just rain down on them. Right. Because I can always make stuff harder and take their XP back because I'm a cruel mistress. Um, so for, for one shots, I think, you know, you can't, you really can't overdo it with jam intrusions. You can't overdo it with like, wow, you made a cool insight or, you know, I love it when players like make a connection that isn't there, but is so clever that I, I take it right. They're like, Oh, clearly this strange device must have been related to that weird cult we saw back there. And I'm like, of course it was have some XP keep coming at me with these brilliant ideas. Right. Um, and yeah, I award XP for things like, you, you know, even more like character development, like, you know, a, a lot of times I've been throwing in like character secrets. I have people like write down a secret and like give me a note card, especially in my supers game. Um, just because I get bored of running the same adventure over and over again. And like as players make realizations about each other or their own past, you know, I think giving out XP for that like really incentivizes them to like get into character and get really dramatic with everything, which is fabulous. Um, so I think, yeah, in one shots, you really can't have enough XP, but. Troy, you, you've got more experience than I do with campaigns. What's your thought there? Um, ultimately, as fast as you want it to be. Uh, so uh, if you are giving out one intrusion per player, that's uh, two XP per player uh, kind of during the session. And then, um, you know, kind of the main, you know, to actually like, advance your character is uh you you do four xp to gain an advancement and there's there's a few alternatives but the main advancements are gain a skill 
add points to your pools, gain an edge, and then gain the ability to use an additional level of effort. And once you have done those four advancements, then you go up like a whole new tier and you get new abilities based on being at that new tier. So if you, for instance, want uh, to run maybe a, I don't know, maybe like a six uh, session arc or sorry, a six, yeah, six session arc. And you say, well, I want to be, you know, we're going to start at tier one, but I want to be tier two uh, for sure. By the time we finish, you might give out like four normal XP at the end of every session and maybe an occasional six to really bump things along, maybe even get them to tier three for that last session. Um, you know, or if it's maybe a longer term session and you want to kind of control that leveling up, maybe it's two per, uh, maybe it's two, sometimes four, sometimes it, it really just very much kind of depends on the pace that you want your game to move at. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that's kind of how I've done it. You know, I mean, in my game, I generally gave out two every session, uh, and then once in a while, three or four, depending on, you know, if there was kind of like a big arc completion or something like that. And and that's an addition. I need GM XP, GM intrusion XP, right? Yes, correct. That's like my normal session XP for just doing cool stuff. Now, Darcy, you mentioned you can use one XP to reroll a die and... I get what you're saying, like in a shorter term, um, like a one or two shot or even a one shot, eh, maybe, maybe not re-rolling dice. But then I know you can do like short-term advantages, long-terms. Basically, you can spend your XP other than just gaining advancements and going up tiers. So let's talk about that for a little bit. So I, I, I can see this group, you know, <clears throat> they've gone through, I'm play, we're playing a campaign with Troy. He's hands out four at the end of a session. Plus, we each got another two because of intrusions. Well, it's pretty cool. I got a stack of like eight in front of me. I could, I probably am going to probably won't have a full stack of eight by the end of that session. I'll bet you I've burned some of them mid mid game. So how am I, how am I using them? Rerolling and whatnot? What's happening there? Yeah, gosh, there's so many ways to dice this up based on player, you know, player preferences and, uh, and sort of GM house rules and stuff. Um, I, I feel like the, those those four XP costly steps toward your tearing up, they're pretty powerful. So a lot of people are like, you know, they really like to feel that leveling up. Um, and you know, it kind of it kind of gives you that the fun of feeling like you're leveling up in small steps. Like you get that little the little high of like I'm better at stuff. Um, so people tend to optimize toward that. But um, you know, I think people don't don't like to reroll a lot, at least in my campaign games, um, partly because they're so excited by jam intrusions. <laughs> so they, they love, they love ones. Um, but what I like to use XP for, so you could use two XP for like a short term advantage. So it's like, I've been reading this obscure ancient elven literature for the past session. Can we, can I spend two XP and say like, I'm trained in it now. I've spent enough time and effort. Like if I come across this particular style of elven literature, I can, I can use it to my advantage somehow. So that's kind of like a really narrow asset you'll have toward this thing you've been doing. Um, for three XP, you can get a long-term advantage. You can create an artifact or have a long-term helpful contact. But basically what I take that to mean is like, 
you know, you're doing a th- like I, I kind of use XP to bend the rules a little bit. So like if someone's trying to use an ability in a way that it wasn't meant for or if they're trying to use a cipher, they're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could slightly modify the cipher and have it be this instead? Like you don't want to allow that all the time with no consequences. But if people are spending XP, I feel like they are they are invested in this this weird use for something or this particular moment they're going for. And I like I tend to use XP as like bend the rules a little bit as long as everyone on the table's on board. Um, you know, like turn a cipher into a long term piece of equipment with a really hard check and throw a bunch of XP at it, right? Yeah. So um, unlike a D and D or that style of game where you're racking up experience points that kind of sit in a bucket you don't touch. You just add them up, add right. them up. Hey, I got two thousand on a new level. This is another resource that you've got to carefully maintain or or, or willfully spend it at crazy willy-nilly, but it's yet another resource pool for you to do stuff with with your character. I like that. That's kind of neat. Hey, Darcy and Troy, do you guys find, because Darcy, it sounds to me like you run a lot of one-shots. Oh, yeah. Is that is that accurate? Okay. <laughs> so when I don't know, um, and maybe you compare and contrast, but there's got to be a quite a different dynamic one shot versus campaign and how those are spent. Is that? Oh yeah. Do you guys notice that? Okay. Yeah. In a one shot, you can pretty much assume that every XP that you hand out to the players is going to be spent to reroll dice. Um, Once in a while in a one shot, I've had uh, players who are familiar with the system use like the short term advantage, burn a couple of XP. But for the most part, every XP that's on the table is going to be, uh, burn to reroll dice. Uh, for instance, I was I was actually playing in a game where because uh, XP can be used to reroll anybody's dice, right? It doesn't have to be your dice. So uh, oh. you know, uh, I, I was in a game where basically we were on a crumbling space station and we had to like get make speed checks to get to the portal to get out. And my player was the last one. Uh, I had already failed, I think, one or two of the checks. And essentially it was like space station falling apart. You have to make this one to like jump to the portal. And I think I burned through five XP around the table. <laughs> yeah. Right. To, to get, it was just like a, a 12, right. It wasn't even like I needed like an 18. It was like, I needed a 12 and you know, just bad roll, bad roll, bad roll. Uh, but you know, so a lot of times you yeah, had a one shot, especially as it comes down towards the end and you're at the, you know, the climactic encounter and, you know, people are like, oh, we just need to get one more hit on the bad guy or we just need to make one more check to to do this thing. You know, it's like reroll, reroll, reroll. Uh, so so that's very much from a one shot perspective, kind of what my assumption is uh, from a campaign perspective. I've learned it really depends on your players. Uh, some players uh, you know, will will re-roll dice or do short-term advantages, you know, kind of as they go along and tear up as it happens. Uh, other players will hoard all of their XP and just tear up. Uh, so it kind of depends. Um, what I found in my, uh, my longest-running campaign, which was really interesting, is all of my players seem to get to a spot around Tier 3, Tier 4, and there are only six tiers in the Cypher system, so that's kind of the max uh, but around tier three, tier four, all of my players kind of got to the point where they felt really con- uh, competent with what they could do and, and what their players could do. And they were all happy with that. Then they started actually hoarding XP in the other direction to reroll dice. Uh, so they wouldn't tear up they unless they had like 
you know, six or eight XP. So they knew if they, even if they tiered up with four, they'd still have a few to start the next session. Hmm. So it's, it's an interesting dichotomy. Um, in most of my campaign games, I think going forward, I'm probably going to implement kind of what I think is one of the most frequent hacks that I hear in the cipher system. Um, and because actually this whole thing of having XP for rerolls and XP for advancement is, is one thing that sometimes players have a hard time grokking, especially early on, um, is one of the most common hacks is to take that XP that you award at the end of a session and allow that only for long-term advantages and advancements. And then the XP that you award during the session via GM intrusions allow that XP to only be used for rerolls and short-term advantages. So you kind of split it into two pools. Yeah. Um, a lot of times that's... It's a little bookkeepy, but it does it does work. Um, you know, that that's actually a very common kind of, you know hack i think that a lot of people do it might even be in the optional rules in one of the books Mm -hmm. i mean a little bookkeepy would it heavy on the little there because i mean it's basically just two different boxes on your character sheet (laughs) that's not bad it's not that hard no that's not bad and that's actually that's an interesting way to go about it too i've i wouldn't know if i would it sounds like it like oh yes i should totally do that if i when i should say when i run this for the first time i'll run it native rules is written just to get my own feel for it and then probably have that in the back of my head i like that idea <clears throat> excuse me, that way you don't end up with somebody with, you know, 15 XP that they've just been hoarding, waiting to re-roll a shit ton of dice for everybody at the table or something. So mm-hmm. I get that. I, I, in my, in my game, I ended up with a player who was basically a glass cannon. He could go off once per combat for a whole bunch of damage. So he would save his re-rolls for that oh my gosh. action and he'd re-roll three or four times to get the hidden. Jeez. That's funny. I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's very cool. So, uh, Sean, any more questions on XP? No, no, no. All right, let's talk about character building. One of the cool pieces about character building that I liked here, and this is a uh, most of my players in my home group and stuff, we, we kind of do this anyway. You know, you have that character sentence, and that's an actual critical piece here where you say, what's your character? Well, he's a, you know, a dark elf who's misunderstood by society, and he has a cat. All right, now I know who you are. Um, but you have but you have this thing. We all try to do an elevator pitch of what our character is, and it's that wonderful, really short answer of tell me about your character. So, um, Troy, when you are doing – I'll start with you here on this one. So when – what does the build your character sentence? What is, how, how do we go about doing that, and why are we doing it? Uh, so basically it kind of just puts together all the, the pieces of your character and uh, a little something we do on our show, uh, is we have, uh, when we intro ourselves, we generally try to give ourselves a character sentence, uh, in the, the vein of the cipher system. So since we knew we were coming here, uh, we, uh, we ciphered, uh, you, Sean and Brett, uh, oh, God. So, <laughs> uh, All right. So, so, so we have, so to give you somebody an idea of how these sentences go together, and, and we make up a lot of uh, uh, types that are not in the cipher system, obviously, <laughs> when we do this. But uh, Sean is an organized train conductor who speaks with a million voices. Oh, nice. <laughs> Nicely done. And, and Brett is a surly warrior poet who rules his table with an iron grip. 
Bravo. <laughs> Nicely done. Bravo. Nicely done. It does it does paint a picture. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So so as we kind of pull that apart, uh that 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 first uh that first piece, so uh you know, organized in, in Sean's case is what is known as the descriptor. Uh so the descriptor is kind of a the center of your character personality. Uh so so it's kind of the thing that you know, from a mechanical perspective, it gives you a couple of skills, maybe an you know, an ability or an inability. Uh and it's things like tough, graceful, murderous. Uh, they're not always positive. Um, and it, it's kind of the, the thing when you think about your, you know, your character, when you, you know, when you, when you have to think about what, what is their core and how do they make decisions or what do they think about? It's kind of, that's where it starts from. Uh, any, any other thoughts on descriptor, Darcy? Yeah, I usually describe it as it interacts with your character a little bit mechanically, but it's really a jumping off point for role play and sort of, you know, giving your character a spin. Yep. So so that's that first part. Uh, the second part, uh, the train conductor, uh, mm -hmm. is what is known as the type. And type is really similar to class from other games. Uh, so some settings like Numenera have kind of their own specific types, uh, a glaive, which is really a combat focus, a jack, which is sort of jack of all trades, uh, nano, which is sort of techno magey a little bit. Uh, and then there's a couple new ones, a glint and a seeker, which are a little more like, uh, rangery and bard a little bit. Yep. Um, you know, so some of them have special ones. The core ones in the Cypher System core rulebook are Warrior, Adept, Speaker, and Explorer. So, uh, again, you kind of have that, obviously, combat focus. Adept has, you know, usually some magic or something that's kind of giving them some extra sensory-type powers. Uh, speaker is just somebody who, you know, obviously good at talking and influencing people. And an Explorer is, you know, kind of somebody who's, you know, able to do some different things and uh it's ray it's ray from force awakens spelunk and uh <laughs> stuff like that uh so uh and then on top of that uh in the core rulebook is uh there is some rules for flavors so you can kind of flavor these different uh types in different ways so you can add magic or stealth or combat uh, or technology to these various uh, types to really kind of fit them in your game. Mm -hmm. uh, so so type, type is relatively straightforward. That's where a lot of your abilities come from. Uh, you get uh, a lot of abilities from your type uh, at uh, when you start and then at every tier, when you make those big jumps up to a new tier, you select some new abilities as well. Cool. I like it. I, I love the descriptive nature. Even if you just do something like, you know, a graceful warrior, a tough adept, yeah. murder, murderous explorer, those things, you know, that a murderous explorer takes, you know, Belloc from the uh, original Indiana Jones movie, right? You've got Indy, Indy versus his antithesis, and he's a murderous explorer versus the other way. And it's just kind of that, that, that statement itself gives you something right away. You, like, you know a lot about that person just, just from those two words. I finally get that reference. I just saw that movie for the first time. Yes. <laughs> wow. I'm a monster. Sweet. 
Uh, I regret having you on the show now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. In, Damn it. In, in fairness, Darcy is a little bit younger than the rest of us, I think. Okay. Hey, um, at least she's seen it. And 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 some you know in some cases with the cipher core types, uh, it may under the covers maybe be let's say a warrior flavored with magic, but on your character sheet you may call that a Jedi Knight. Mm-hmm. They encourage that, right? You know, yeah. So so skin it to whatever you know, whatever um, you know, set set yeah, whatever setting you're in. Yeah, it must evoke whatever is in the setting. If I, mm-hmm. well, I'm in Star Wars and I'm a warrior knight, so you're a Jedi. No, it has to say warrior knight. No, 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 dude, just say Jedi. Yeah, yeah. because yep, exactly. that's what everybody knows what that is. Just move on from there. Okay. So the focus is the last one. Yep, the last part is focus, and this is what makes your character special. Uh, in any game, uh, you should, uh, barring some like special like twin separated at birth type angle if you know if you ever wanted to do that um you know you never want to have two characters with the same focus uh so um you know again these these kind of run the gamut uh, of all kinds of different things that they can do uh you could be a um you know a tough warrior who fights with precision so you know you're not like a barbarian bashing right you're you're making definite specific called shots um, one of my favorite ones is actually uh, there is a focus who you are a uh, speaker who doesn't do much, uh, which is kind of fun. Um, you get some weird sort of abilities uh, because you're lazy. Uh, and, you know, so you can be uh, who bears a halo of fire is another uh, good example. So you can kind of trigger this, you know, flaming uh, uh, wall sort of around you. Um, speaks to the dead, things like that. There's the a lot of good. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is as more and more stuff has come up with the cipher system, uh, for sure, all of the descriptors and all of the focuses, foci can be really used across any setting as long as, as long as it fits. Yeah. They're totally interchangeable. It's really yep. nice. Yep. So, you know, so while you might not use who bears a halo of fire in your um, mundane game, you know, but you might use who bears a halo of fire in your sci-fi game. It just might be that that halo comes from, you know, some technology that that you have rather than, you know, just from your person. Um, the last thing that focus gives you, which uh, is great, is it gives you a hook to another character. Uh, a little bit like fiasco where you kind of hook into a, another person. And my, my favorite one here is uh license to carry from the strange. Uh, you, your hook is, is that you shot one of the other players in a training accident and, <laughs> and then they get to decide how they feel about that. Yeah. Nice. Huh. Maybe a podcast. accident. <laughs> Maybe that's not that such a thing as occurred more than once or twice. <laughs> Um, so I love, I love the sentence for all the reasons we just talked about. And the other thing I think is really cool is you roll this out as a pre-gen and the first thing on top of the, what's this character about? Read that sentence. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. I know this. It's I got so it. Quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I've actually done, uh, for one shots with, uh, experienced players who, who, you know, know a little bit about the system. I've actually done character gen at the table. And you just give them all of the words, like on a sheet yep. of paper, that are applicable to the setting. 
they write out their sentence and then it takes like 15 minutes to go through, you know, what, what each of the things does and, and write them down. But, you know, you don't spend a lot of time looking mechanically at what each thing does. It's like, no, look at these words, decide, you know, what, you know, what you want your character to be. And then we'll just write down the mechanics of it. It's like a Denny's menu, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> giant, you know, point at graceful, point at, you know, warrior. But it doesn't, it sounds like it goes fast. I mean, if you, once you figure yeah. out what you the first time you make a character with any game system, you'll be a little clunk with it. You're like, oh, what do I do? What's this? Once you get it down, if you can make a character in less than half an hour, that's pretty freaking cool. Oh, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. less than yep. half an hour. That is very cool. Okay. Sean, any questions on that, man? No. No, I like what I'm hearing, though. That's really, really cool. That is cool. So we blew, but we kind of we've already talked about combat and obstacles a bit with die rolls. You know, you roll a one, you get a free uh, GM intrusion. Um, the one piece I want to throw out there too is the kind of on the higher end of the die, right? So you get your 19s and your 20s. Your 19 gets you a minor effect, and a 20 is a major effect. And then you can do extra damage in combat with 17s and 18s. So Walk me through kind of the critical, right? Because usually if you've got a D20 in your hand, your thought is one's a fumble, GM intrusion, and my 20 should get me something really cool. So what does what, what does the minor and major effect, what is that, how does that translate? Yeah, so major effects are really nice because you get back any pool points that you spent. So mechanically, it's like, you know, if you just tried really hard at this, at this task and you put all these abilities toward it and you spend all this effort um, and you got a nat 20, it kind of like takes the punch out of it. Sometimes you're like, Oh, why did I spend all those points if I was going to roll so well? So you get all your points back. Um, and you know, at least when, when, you know, I make a really big deal out of it, uh, like nat 20, um, they have some suggested things about like, Oh, if it's in combat, here are some ideas about what that might be. You might get like, I think it's on the order of magnitude of like, possibly even an extra attack, you could uh, knock the opponent down or something. But for a nat 20, I usually open the the floor up to be like, wow, you did this really good. There was some crazy, new, exciting thing that happened. And then I, I usually get input from the table. So it's, I feel like, you know, we always usually do like kind of a collaborative, like, how does this go off even better than expected, right? What do you do, Troy? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the best way to look at them is major effects are player intrusions, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, well, that's they, a good way to look at it. I like that. Yeah, they they essentially they can they can take the narrative and do almost whatever they want. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I won't let them say, "Oh, uh, it's the first hit on the bad guy who you know can take forty damage and I behead him." You know, it's not quite to that level, but it's like. Oh, uh, I like I've seen players, uh, you know, like, oh, I lop off one of the Minotaur's horns. So now he does less damage and they have a cool trophy for later. Yeah. Uh, you know, like stuff like that. Um, you know, so absolutely. I mean, kind of major effects. It, it's whatever you can negotiate. You know, it's it's a quick narrative negotiation of this is the cool thing that I want to happen. And as long as my players don't go off the deep end, it's generally a, yep, that cool thing happens. And then minor effector, yeah, are, are, are a pretty big step down, but they're still like, I, I'm trying to think of what some of the the book recommended ones are. You know, it's almost like a edge of the empire, you know, advantages. I think about them like, oh, you, you line up a good shot for like, you know, you, you get in a good position or like you find 
uh, you learn something about your environment that helps you next, or, um, you know, you kind of like trip up the opponent or something. I'm trying to, do you have some ideas, Troy? Yeah. The way I, I like to look at it is major effects generally are lasting effects where minor effects often are just quick effects. So, um, where a major effect, like my previous example where he chopped off the horn, um, you know, kind of affected that, that, uh, big horn creature for the rest of combat, a minor effect might be, I throw some dust in its eyes and it's, uh, like one level harder for it to attack me next turn. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's just a momentary effect, uh, rather than kind of a, it's harder for it to attack me for the whole combat. That would be more of a major effect. Okay, that makes sense. I like that. Let me see here. Sean, anything from you on combat skill checks or stuff like that? I think we covered that pretty well. Yeah, you can obviously tell that Darcy and Troy know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's all I got to say I, about I hope that. so. We've kind of built a podcast around it. <laughs> yeah, I know what I don't know, I think. And that's half the knowing. <laughs> There's a secret mission from Brett and Sean just to find out do they really know what they're talking about? And by God, they do. <laughs> No, this is cool. This actually, uh, honestly, I think unless um, I, I'll give you guys a chance if you got anything else you want to throw out there. But um, talking to both of you, this had the same effect as when I talked to Jen Brinkman and even Ron Blessing and uh, Christian Serrano around Savage World. It makes the system more interesting to me <clears throat> to talk to people in this type of format where you're like, hey, Brett, dude, this is really cool. And here's why. I'm like, wow, Darcy, that sounds really fun. <laughs> like, oh, my God, this is so fun. <laughs> because it, I, if I read a sales pitch on a website or anything like that, I'm like, yeah, blah, 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 sales pitch, blah, blah. Yeah, I agree. But listening to people who are passionate about a game system like this is uh, way cooler. So thank you both. This is really good. Yeah. And, and you know, the fact that, you know, we do like live in the same state, you know, <laughs> I, I should probably just run this for you guys someday. <gasps> there you go. Yeah, I think that's we're going to have to do that. Whoa. We're gonna be up in Wassa. We're gonna be up in Wassa next weekend, actually. <laughs> I would say my only last point is that like we haven't done the settings justice and the settings are killer. They're so good. So mm-hmm. if if they you know, if one speaks to you, definitely go check it out. Um great, great art and great writing and just rich settings. I think a lot of I think a lot of people would I mean, they they talk about Monty, and regardless of what we think about the mechanics or not and the rule system, but they always say Monty always does a bang-up job on settings mm-hmm. and, and flavor for sure. So there's they're no joke either. I mean, they're big books, and they're very lush. done, laid out very well. Yes, very lush uh, and done very well. So you could certainly give them kudos mm-hmm. for that, no question. Mm-hmm. Troy, do you have any last uh, last bits you want to make sure we talk about or mention? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, uh, I think that that we covered it really well. You know, we talked a lot about the the mechanics, um, you know, and, and stuff. And yeah, just to echo what Darcy said, there's a lot of great fluff. Um, I will say that uh, and having a younger daughter who is starting to play games, uh, I've come to appreciate even more that uh all of the Montica games books are very inclusive Mm uh they they definitely use a lot of examples both in the he and the she and the they um and and i I just think it's great all of the the time that they take to do that type of thing right within all of their fiction as well Mm -hmm. that's a very good point i really when i got to see them at their 
Well, Troy, you were there right? when uh, yeah. Monty and, and and they had their <clears throat> the what's new with Monty Cook Games, just listening to them interacting with the people in the audience, um, and how they just answered all the questions. Everyone was treated evenly and fairly, and they really were very great people to listen to and interact with. And uh, it really shines through, even in something as mundane as the Cipher System Rulebook. It does. It makes you feel like, yeah, I can, I can play this. I don't have to be, you know. <laughs> to, to be able, I don't have to be a white guy out of the Midwest to play this game. I could be anybody, and I could play this game, which is really cool because there's so many great gamers out there. And uh, to take that extra step to make sure that everybody feels welcome in the system in the world is is awesome. It goes a stuff. long way. Absolutely does. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and we're trying to we're trying to cover one game in like less than mm-hmm. an hour, and you guys have a podcast <laughs> dedicated to it. I mean. <laughs> So, you know, for those that have listened, we've really gotten the kind of into the gist of things, but surely just touched kind of the surface, really. Yeah, absolutely. Some of these topics we talked about, like ciphers and GM intrusions, we do whole shows on. Yeah, but what I like is like the concept is usually pretty small and graspable. So it's you mm-hmm. don't have to do a lot of upfront labor as a GM to learn to run it, I don't think. I, you know, we get into no, the, the nitty gritty and advice and ways to make it interesting once you've mastered the basics, but... It's pretty accessible. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into die roll, shall we? All right. So die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery or inspiration we want to share with everybody. Uh, Brett's got one. I've got a few. Uh, we've given Troy and Darcy a few. Brett, go ahead. Yep. So the only one I could come up with, <clears throat> excuse me, between being sick last week and uh, gaming all this last weekend, um, I just want to mention out that the uh, the Streets of Avalon act, uh, actual play podcast that Chris Nizak, I, Tom Flanagan, Emily, and Kevin are doing the latest episode is up, and that was kind of fun. So just a link in the show notes to that because I know not everybody follows us on uh, uh, the other social media feeds. So just one more chance to let people know that's out there. So that was kind of cool. Now that is not the finale. No, is it? no, it is not. No, no there's more to come. Okay. Uh, Ke- okay. Kevin murdered some people, lit a big fire, and then there's a. Then it ended just. Be- <laughs> then it ended on a really nice little section. So it was. Uh, it'll be. It's getting good. I like it. <clears throat> I, I've heard there's compliments on Twitter, Brett, that you're not always involved with because Brett doesn't monitor the gaming and BS Ooh. Twitter feed, and I do. And so every once in a while, somebody will comment about how. They're really enjoying that live actual play, or not live, but actual play. Oh, cool. I don't know if you're. Aware I am of not. That's yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I will just put out a couple or a few uh, points that I have. Cipher speak. I'm gonna just sandbag <laughs> that one. Uh, podcast dedicated to the cipher system, starring Troy and Darcy. Uh, link in the show notes. Check them out. If any of the things that we mentioned intrigues you, just a hair. Go over to their podcast and uh, certainly get into the to the details about some of the things we spoke about. And I have I've listened to it and Darcy and Troy. I like I like the show a lot. Ah. I think you guys do a really good job grabbing onto the topic. You know, like ciphers and stuff. I learned a lot listening to that one. So when I asked the questions here, I'm like, well, I hope they say the same. Oh, yeah, they they said the thing. They said the thing. You know. So um, it was you guys have grabbed some of the. They're not hard concepts, but they're just they're different. At least yes. in my in Brett's you know mm-hmm. grognard brain, they're a little hard. So I get a hold of it, and listening to you guys talk it through the way you do has made it more accessible Aww. for even an old guy like me. So thank you very much. Yes, really thank it. you, thank you. 
All right, number two, Bloodlines and Black Magic uh, by Storm Bunny Studios is a modern supernatural campaign setting designed to be forward compatible with a Pathfinder RPG. Uses classes from the Advanced Class Guide and Occult Adventures, shaping them to fit a darker modern world. So they currently have a Kickstarter going on. The individual that introduced the show, Eric Frankhaus, is in, uh, included or involved in that Kickstarter. It's happening now, April 4th, when the show drops and wraps up April 15th. So make sure you go out and check out that Kickstarter if you'd like to get into uh, some of the occult adventures in a darker modern world using Pathfinder RPG rules. Yeah, Frank House has been a, he's a two-time Iron GM. He's been a friend of the show and of Sean and I for a number of years now. He's a good guy. When he brought it to our attention, we thought, hey, we got to at least give him a little shout out here. Mm-hmm. So good work, guys. And it is fully funded. Yes. It is fully funded. Yep. As of this recording. So that's good. They'll be moving forward with that. Um, number three from Matt Bonehoff, listener. Here's a news article that has all the indications of an adventure. A lost civilization so ancient has no name. A legend of a city abandoned after it was cursed. Flesh-eating parasite contacted by the archaeologists who found it. Awesome. Uh, what else might? Yeah. What else might your players dig up in the city of the monkey god? So there's an actual news story about that and the archaeology finding and. Use that for some plot incentive there. So that's all I've got, Darcy. Uh, so I, some of these I put in there, but I figured we didn't we didn't get into them. But you could certainly comment on uh, some of those. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I should start by saying there's a nice cipher system uh, homepage that that will be linked in the show notes. And so there's um there's you know some little pages to get you sort of up to speed on what we got into in this episode. Um, and they've got a lot of nice uh, bits of art too, to, to sort of like, you know, the cipher system rule book is great for referencing at the table and things, but it's also got some delicious art that is inspiring. Like I want to play those games. Right. Um, so that's a good place to go for, you know, finding the sort of more on the, the basics of, do I want to get into the cipher system or not? So that that's cipher dash system.com. All right, Troy. Uh, I got a couple uh, that I'll start with here. Uh, again, uh, Numenera, uh, which is the first system of the cipher system. Uh, there is kind of a same thing, a, a landing page for that, that uh, really takes you to uh, learn some things about Numenera and, and get a handle on what, what that's like. So that's another good place to start if some of the things that we said about uh, Numenera are are interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, another one uh, that uh, I had I have contributed to a little bit, but uh, a lot of uh, cool people from our community have definitely done a whole lot more, is the Cyphercaster magazine. Uh, it's a fanzine uh, that is, I think, got eight issues as of the time of this recording uh and just packed full of cypher system goodies yeah fiction and little rules hacks and uh and like at full adventures and really nice art it's definitely worth checking out um very cool yeah i i would say um there's there's also a landing page for the strange role-playing game um but montycookgames.com is is a, is a great one-stop shop for you know buying any of this stuff or they have um, kind of weekly roundup articles of cool things that are going on in our community. And uh, they've got little GM advice columns. So it's definitely worth uh, checking out the MCG main page too. Um, 
And then the other the other thing I would say is uh, there's a we we've gotten into the cipher system, but Monty Cook Games is also producing Invisible Sun that should be that kickstarted last year and will be coming out this November, uh, which is a surreal fantasy game that's got a lot got way too much crazy stuff going on for us to get into here. But there is a podcast called Incantations. Is that right, Troy? That is correct. And it's ah a- oh, crap. I didn't know that. I'm in, I'm in on that Kickstarter. I didn't know there was a podcast. God damn. You should check out the podcast because they've synthesized so much stuff. I'm glad you're here. Now I know this. Oh, yeah. It's it's perfect. It's where you want to go. Uh, and it's Dave Hanlon and uh, Scott Robinson, right? Yep. That is correct. Very worth checking out. Yep. Yeah, fun, funny story. Uh, Darcy and I started our podcast, and then Dave mm-hmm. and Scott started their podcast uh, shortly after ours. And Dave and I literally live a mile from each other and game <laughs> together. <laughs> That's funny. That is hilarious. I actually like the fact that you that you you both live this close. So now, if I now when my invisible sun shows up, and if I can't get Kevin in town to play, at least I know I've got other people who are interested in playing. Yay! Yeah. I can run a game. Mm-hmm. This is very cool. Awesome. Uh, yep. One, one last one that I had, uh, again, lots of, uh, good cipher system goodness. Uh, our friend, uh, Mark Plord has a blog called inspiration strikes that we reference on our show a lot. Uh, just, uh, all kinds of great info for different, uh, skinny, different settings, different cipher options, just tons of, of interesting fan content that he puts up there and, and great ideas, adventure hooks, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so if you're interested in cipher stuff or expanding your cipher horizons, definitely check out Mark's blog. Awesome. Darcy, where can people find you on the web if they want to find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, if people want to find me on the web, I'm findable most places uh, at Darcy L. Ross, D-A-R-C-Y-L-R-O-S-S. So that's the Twitters and the G pluses. And um, those are probably the best places to find me. And I write a bit at Gnome Stew. Uh, and I'm findable definitely at Gen Con. I would love to see people if any of the wonderful gaming and BS listeners will be there. Um, and Troy, do you want to let us know where we can find you online? Uh, yep. Uh, you can find me mostly on Twitter at Troy P 23. Uh, once in a while, I am also on uh, Google plus under Troy Pitchelman. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much it. That's my, my footprint on the, the internet right now. And our podcast just got its own Twitter account. Cypher oh, pod, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> that's what it is. Woo. It's so new. It still has a new Twitter it smell. Really that's does. very good. <laughs> it's very a spray. Nice. It's a spray. <laughs> so yeah, if you're a fan of the Cipher system, make sure you follow them on Twitter to get some more information there and listen to their podcast. Go and subscribe to them. All right. Before you two go, you got to go through skill check. So are you ready, Darcy and Troy, for skill check? Absolutely. All right. So I we're, guess so. <laughs> all right. We'll start with Darcy first. There is no wrong yeah. answer, so don't worry about it. All right, ready? You will be booed. If your answer is bad, we will boo you. That is true. I better queue up my soundboard here and make sure. Oh, boy. No, you'll be fine. All right, Darcy. uh, GM or player? Uh, GM. Ever since I learned to be a GM, I've become a terrible player. Don't let me in your games. (laughs) I'm a monster. (laughs) Liar. (laughs) Note to to self. All right. Screen or no screen? Uh, No screen. Modules or original content? Modules so I can riff off of them with doing no prep. 
balanced encounters or screw balance? Screw balance. It's a big old screw balance. All right. Nice. So here's a trick question. Favorite uh, R- favorite RPG? Ooh. I'm going to give you... Uh, so Cypher System's my favorite. My second is I probably, because I'm a monster, Made. I am I'm one of the few people who will stand by Made, the RPG, and I will run it for you, and I think it's got some brilliant things going for it. <laughs> who who publishes Made? Um, it's this new translation, so... Uh, this guy who does a lot of who did like Golden Sky stories and stuff translated that uh, also translated it. It's just this weird little one-off, uh, yeah, Japanese game. It's good. Okay, interesting. Wow. Okay. Cool. All right. So mm-hmm. our the R- <laughs> so the RPG you're playing in the next week or running in the next week slash month. Yeah, I'm running my all ladies Numenera game, my campaign. Which has been awesome. Are you doing that face to face or over the net? Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. It's a big, big room full of ladies, and we we play Numenera. It's amazing. Any new players? Yeah, one has never played a role playing game before, and I'm so honored that she's. Uh, they're all pretty new to Cipher System, but she was like willing to finally try gaming with my game. So I was so pumped. That's fantastic. And she's a natural. That's fantastic. It's amazing. Oh yeah. Good. 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 Yay. All right, now that you got the preview, Troy, are you ready? I'm ready. You're ready? I'm ready. All right, GM or player, Troy? Uh, GM. Screen or no screen? Screen. Modules or original content? Uh, Original content. I like my adventures on note cards. On note cards? (laughs) Good good man, Troy. Good man. All you need is a note card, and you got a one-shot. Well, you're lucky you're not in Europe. <laughs> I heard they don't have no cards in Europe. Don't you? That's, a, that's an old school. That's an old school misdirected Mark uh, gave me BS throwdown. Yeah, that's Becky Owen from Be- like 100 episodes ago. Becky Owen awesome. says they don't have no cards in Europe. I don't know. All right, they call uh, them lay no card. Lay no, <laughs> lay no card. No card. <laughs> Royale with no card. And okay. there goes exactly. our European audience, like all two of them. All right. <laughs> Balanced encounter or screw balance? Uh, screw balance. Fa- awesome. Favorite role-playing game, Troy? Numenera. RPG nice. you're playing or running in the next week or month? Uh, I am uh, playing uh, D&D 5E Primeval Thule, and I am running Star Wars Edge of the Empire. Yay. Very cool. So the- how, do you like the prime- how do you like Primeval Thule? Uh, we're just starting, but it's uh, it's pretty savage. Very cool. So Very cool. It, it seems like it'll be fun. So you're playing in Edge of the Empire? No, I'm running Edge of the Empire. I'm playing in Primeval Thule. So are you, in running uh, Star Wars, are you yes. are you doing modules? Or are you doing all just whatever you're coming up with? Uh, I've done uh, most of my own stuff. I did throw in uh, the Jewel of Yavin. Uh, as I was going along, but uh, kind of around my own uh, storyline. Brett knows about the Julia oven, don't you, Brett? Yes, I did. Yeah, mm-hmm. I blew I, I blew something up uh, around the Julia oven. All hell I'm broke loose. There you too. go. Yeah, all hell broke <laughs> loose at the end of that one for those guys. <laughs> yes, Troy. it did. Yeah. Oh yeah, there, yeah, there was, was plenty of there was plenty of explosions and running away from Bespin for my players as well. Nice. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks for playing Skill Check. No problem. 
Thank you. Sweet. All right, so uh, that wraps it up. I wanted to uh, thank Sarah Nomus for the review on iTunes, Brett. We got one from them. Oh, very nice. Thank you. Uh, and then, of course, as always, sponsored by Gamehole Con, a gaming convention in November. Get your ass to Gamehole Con. It's the first weekend. Get over to GameholeCon.com for more information. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, next week when we talk about Brett. What are we talking about next week? I don't know, man. I just got back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll figure it out. I'm not quite sure. Um, after this one, I might have uh, some other stuff to talk about. This is giving me some good inspiration here myself. So anyway, we'll, we'll come up with something cool. I'll tell you that. How about that? That's as good as it gets. Every week I ask Brett that same question. Every week he can count on it. Take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> That's how, uh, I should start doing that one. Peaking the brand. That's what I should do. Exactly. Totally. Again, thank you so much for Darcy and Troy for joining oh, us. Oh, thank, thank you, you yes. so much, so much really, for getting truly. into the nitty gritty with us. We appreciate it. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, this was fun, Troy and Darcy. Thank you. This is awesome. Well, uh, this is another episode of Gaming and BS. I'm your host, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest DeGary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Billadeau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Chad Knight, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Abruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, The Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Stefan Dragonspawn, Evan Harrison Cass, Finolf, Ray Otis, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Jared Rasher, Jared Lytle, Todd Crapper, Michael Parker, Jim Fitzpatrick, Michael Drescher, and With Static. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Consider going over to GamingAndBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, listeners. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.